you probably, if you're following along in the study, are uh, we're in week three. And so if you have a normal sort of weekday study, you probably started week three in your homework and are kind of in the middle of it. And you will have noticed by now that one of the recurring themes of this study is that, that God takes the initiative, that, that God takes the first, makes the first move. Right? It's God who speaks to His people. It's God who visits His people. It's God who invites and who calls His people to join Him. And of course, this makes perfect sense when we also understand that God loves us. And we really do have to pause because it's such a staggering reality that the, the God of the universe who does not need us, He does not depend on us, there's nothing that we can offer Him who is pure and holy and righteous, unlike any of us, still loves us and loves us in a way in which we just imagine love is, is that He pursues us. He pursues the object of His love, which is us. And it's just... It's, it's such a staggering reality that I think most of us, our minds just instinctively shy away from the embarrassing implications of the lo- of that love. That, that God, Father, Son, and Spirit pursue us out of love. But, but that's what love does, right? Love pursues its object. Love pursues its desire. And, and some of you may remember back to your high school days. Maybe, maybe some of you are in your high school days right now. God bless you. I wish I could go back and change a whole bunch of things. But, but maybe you can remember back to that time when you were first smitten by the love of your life, right? And now women, you will remember how your man, that, that, that man that, that loved you, how, how he showed that love to you, remember? Right? With guys, you remember what he did, right? It's obvious, right? It starts out probably they just basically stood in front of you in sort of a slack-jawed stare at you unable to sort of figure out what was going on in their mind of what was happening, right? But then from the sort of slack-jawed, wide-eyed stare that was very obvious, it sort of graduated to sort of deliberately following you around and performing acts of strength and coordination somewhere in your vicinity that you would be able to see them do that, right? You know, just stupid human tricks, right? And or, or maybe they kind of buzzed around you, you know, poking or pulling your hair or whatever, depending on the maturity level of the guy. Um, you know, or they would find an excuse to be around you and say something they thought was funny or clever or whatever. But, but the reality is, like, you knew that they loved you because they were pursuing you. Like, this person that you had never really seen before was suddenly in your life all the time. You couldn't find a hallway or a classroom that they weren't in, Right? And girls, you did the same thing, right? You know, let's be obvious, right? Women, you know, you know you did it, did it too. When you, when you met that guy, there was always an excuse to be somewhere he was, right? And, and you made sure that you looked your best and you tossed your hair just so, you know, or you pulled out that most deadly weapon and made direct eye contact, right? And just, that was it. They were done. But the, these are ways in which we pursue the one we love and, and, and we shy away from the embarrassing fact that God loves us and pursues us. And it, and it just it blows our minds that the God who does not need us, who is above us in every way, who created us, He loves us and He chases us down with His love. Now, God does not love us in the silly ways that we usually start out loving each other. Right? It's not that kind of love that God has. God loves us with a deep and eternal love 
that desires what's best for our joy and His glory. He loves us because we're lost without Him. The aim of His pursuit is to rescue us and redeem us as we are His lost children. But Hosea 3.1 talks about the kind of love that God has for us. It, it gives us a hint of this. The Lord said to me, Go show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods. God loves us like a wandering wife. He pursues us even though we turn away. Zephaniah 3.17 The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Right? Isn't that almost a little bit embarrassing? God's going to sing over us out of his love. It's incredible that God loves us like that to pursue us even though we wander. That's the love of God. But now, we have to start with some bad news. right? There's some very bad news that has to be overcome in this love relationship. There's a reason that God must be the one that pursues us. That the initiative has to come from God. Because the desire to love God on our part, even the ability to love God, never comes from us. It never comes from our direction. In your experiencing God quiet time study this week, you'll encounter this reality most especially on day four. And quoting from Psalm 14 and 53, the Apostle Paul takes those psalms and he quotes them in Romans 3.10. And he says, As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. And in the lesson, Blackaby emphasizes no one is naturally righteous. No one understands the truth of God on their own. No one naturally seeks to know God. No one instinctively recognizes God as God or chooses selfless love on their own. Nobody makes the effort to pursue God, is what Scripture says, what Paul reinforces. And the text that Paul is quoting, if you were to go to Psalm 14 and read it fully, it even illuminates it a little more and, and maybe identifies with us a little more. It says, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God, and they have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There's no one who does good, not even one. That's what Paul's quoting in the Psalms there. And we already see this reality of mankind in history, Right? In our, in our interaction with God, Eve doubted God's truth even though she walked with Him in the garden. Cain slew Abel. Wickedness flourished in every family except one until God sent a flood. Israel, His chosen people, who even had God's law and prophets time and time again, turned away from God over and over and over again and fell into idolatry. And we still see the same pattern in our world today. Right, Left to our own devices, there isn't a person or a family or a nation that sets their heart on God naturally. But we keep saying there is no God in pursuing our own way. This is the problem in the relationship and why God has to pursue us because the reality is we don't pursue God. And this bad news, this reality that no one naturally pursues God on its own actually has a big special category in the doctrines of grace that maybe you've heard of before. It's called total depravity. 
And this is something we just have to understand is true. That we are totally depraved. Or if you don't like that word depraved, you could say it a little bit differently, total inability. And the important thing to remember in this is, is, is not the name that we might assign to these truths. You know, maybe you don't like the name total depravity. But what's important is how accurately the doctrine summarizes what the Bible teaches about our condition before God. It doesn't matter what we call the doctrine. It's a doctrine that's true in Scripture. That there is none that is good. There is none that seeks God. And you might resist that verse and you might resist that, that idea of total depravity and say, but, but wait a minute, Paul either the apostle or me, either one. But there is some good in the world. Like we see people do good sometimes. I know I sometimes do good. You know, even atheists do good sometimes. It's not like without God we can't be good at all. Even whole nations do good things. Didn't we abolish slavery at some point? But what Romans 3, 10 to 12 is saying with regard to total depravity is not that we as humans made in the image of God are totally depraved, Because we can look around and see that that's not true. There is some good grace of God that still restrains us from total depravity. But what Scripture is teaching, and what this doctrine emphasizes, is that there is no single part of us that is not in some way affected by sin. And this is why we cannot seek God. There is no part of our humanity that has not fallen from perfection Every part of us is stained, and that stain, that sin in every part of us prevents us from seeking God, because sin will have nothing to do with God. And so when we say total depravity, or when Paul says no one seeks God, no one does any good, what you have to understand is Paul, what Scripture is saying is that there is no part of us that is perfectly righteous. There is no part of us on its own that can succeed in seeking God in the way that God needs to be seeked. Total depravity or total inability does not mean that we are all as bad as we can possibly be. It means that every part of us and every action we take is at least partly selfish, partly hurtful, partly ruined, partly fallen, partly broken by sin. And Paul elaborates on this problem. He makes it real in his own life in Romans 7. This is where we see it. It says in 14 to 18, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin, for I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. And now if I do what I don't want, I agree with the law that it must be good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. That's total depravity. Paul says, there's no part of me that has a righteousness of its own. Everything that I do is somehow tainted. I don't do what I want to do. And Jesus shows us why, or we begin to see here why it must be God that pursues us. How could we possibly pursue God? He has to be the one that takes the initiative. He has to make the first move. God moves towards us because we can't move towards Him. Jesus, as he is teaching his disciples, makes this very clear in a number of places. He says in John 6, 37, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. And then he says in John 6, 44, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. And then, of course, even John 3, 16, right? Which we all know so well. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God loved the world. He gave. He took the initiative. He gave his son. He draws us to Jesus. It's God doing all these things because no one seeks God. No one does good on their own. We can't leave the world to find God any more than a fish could leave the ocean to reach the moon. And so we recognize this reality that God must pursue us and he pursues us out of love. And quickly back to the Apostle Paul as he begins now to explain the good news that replaces the bad news. Right After confessing the truth that no one seeks God in chapter 7 of Romans, or in chapter 3, but then in his own life in chapter 7, that even Paul himself can't do good, he says in Romans 8, 8, 3-4, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin He condemns sin in the flesh, in order that the righteousness, righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So you, so you see what's happened there? As Paul says, we're not righteous, we can't do good, I'm not righteous, I can't do the good that I want to do. But he says the good news starts to come out now, God, by sending His own Son, God, by His initiative, out of His love, He's done by the Spirit what we couldn't do by the flesh. The bad news is that because of our sin, we would never pursue God on our own. We don't seek God. We can never do good enough on our own. But there's good news. There's great news. There's, there's staggeringly amazing news. That's the best news that you ever hear in your life. We don't have to pursue God because God pursues us. God loves us. God has set His eye and His heart and His will upon us that we need not die apart from His love, but that we can be welcomed and adopted into it. God loves us that much. He does not want any of us to be lost. Ezekiel 33:11 says, He says to His prophet Ezekiel, God speaking, says, Say to them, As I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked would turn from his ways and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? God does not want the wicked to die. God wants the wicked to love him and be loved. And so Paul introduces us to the beginning of this good news. The bad news is total depravity or total inability to reach out to God. The good news comes right afterwards. And this is the great news. This is the best news that you can hear. And it has a name, too, in the doctrines of grace. We've sort of taken these truths and and given them a name, too. And the name we give it is unconditional election, or, or sometimes we call it unmerited favor. And unconditional election or unmerited favor is the great truth that follows right after and rescues us from total depravity. Unconditional election is the amazing news that apart from any qualification in ourselves, even though we are enemies of God, even though we turned away and did not seek God, God has chosen to love us. And we have seen this truth as well. We've seen this truth in the people of God and in history, right? We've seen this just as often in the Old Testament history of God and His people and in the New Testament as well. You remember, Abraham was not seeking God. Abraham was just this guy in Ur of the Chaldeas, wherever that is, right? He's just living his life, and God shows up and says, Abraham, you know, here I am, this is what I want you to do. He he wasn't looking for God. But God came and spoke to him. Gideon, if you remember a few weeks ago, he was literally hiding in a cave. He had no expectation that God would show up. And even when God showed up, Gideon was still skeptical that God was calling him to something. 
He wasn't looking for God. He wasn't expecting God to act. And just last week with Chris, right? Samuel didn't even know God, it says. Samuel was literally asleep when God came to speak to him. I mean, I don't know how much more not seeking God you can be to not know God and literally be sleeping. And God comes to Samuel and says, Hey, pokes him. Hey, Samuel, I got something for you. And Esther... I mean, she was just trying to survive as a captive Jew in a Persian empire. She was just trying to make it through, right? And not get killed by this insane king. And God called her. The disciples, were they seeking Jesus? No. None of the disciples were looking for Jesus. None of the disciples were looking for the Messiah, right? They were fishing. They were napping under trees when Jesus saw them and came to them and called them. The apostle Paul... Okay, the Apostle Paul was literally beating and imprisoning Christians. Was he looking for Jesus? No. But then Jesus comes along and says, No, Paul, you're done with that life. Now you love me. That's how it's going to go. Right? Like time and time and time again, it's God who acts. It's God who pursues. It's God who says... You don't know me. You never look for me. You don't merit me. It's unconditional election because there's no condition on his love. He comes and pursues those that will be his. It's incredible. There's nothing special about any of these people. Nothing special about Gideon. No qualifications for the disciples. No glowing track record for Paul. The love of God was and is always completely unmerited. It's unconditional. Literally. There's no condition we meet to receive it. We don't qualify for it. And yet God offers it to us through the gift of His Son. God's love is personal. God's love is a person. It's not just this idea that God loves us. It's the reality that He is a person in His Son, Jesus Christ. And we don't just have God's love in some abstract sense. We have God's love in Jesus Christ. And this is so amazing to see What Jesus tells us and unpacks for us is taking place now under this new covenant that God has established, how His love has been made personal in Christ Jesus. And that's John 6, 44-45. Where Jesus just kind of, like He always does, in just a few short sentences, unpacks what's going on and just exposes so much. In John 6, 44-45, He says, No one can come to Me unless the Father who sent Me draws him. Got that? And I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Okay, there's a lot going on there, as there always is when Jesus opens his mouth. There's a lot going on just in those few sentences. Let's start with, we already already know this first part, right? That nobody comes to the Father unless the Father who sent me draws him. Nobody can come to Jesus, sorry, unless the Father who sent me draws him. We got that part. But it's written in the prophets. It's written in the prophets. What's Jesus talking about there? Well, if you look in the book of Hebrews, the writer of the book of Hebrews expands on this by teaching from Jeremiah 33, 31 to 40. And it's in Jeremiah 33, awesome chapter. Just keep that in your head, Jeremiah 33, and just keep turning to it. That's where God in one of the most clear revelations of Jeremiah, is revealing the new covenant that is to come and that Jesus is bringing about. But Hebrews 
the writer of Hebrews reflects on that, and he says in 8, 10 to 12, he says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel, or with my people, after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people, and they shall not teach each other one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, for I will be merciful towards their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. It's written by the prophet Jeremiah, and Hebrews picks up on it that this is what's taking place now in the New Covenant. That God is going to write his law on his people's heart, on his people's heart. God is going to literally teach us. They will be taught by God, Jesus said. It's written in the prof, by the, in the prophets that there's a time that all will be taught by God. And they won't have to teach each other. Right? Jesus says that this is just like the prophets spoke. People will be taught by God. And the letter to the Hebrews quotes the prophet Jeremiah who says people won't need to be taught about God because they're going to all know Him. And, and you can see how this is the same prophecy unfolding that, that Jesus in Hebrews is talking about. It's the same fulfillment taking place. Now, if God is teaching people and we don't have to teach each other, is that supposed to mean that I am actually not supposed to be doing what I'm doing right now? Right? We've got to unpack this a little bit, right? Am I not supposed to be here teaching you? Or, or does it mean that Paul should not have gone on his missionary journeys? Paul should not have written his letters to teach anybody because God's done it all? The disciples never should have gone out teaching? Well, no, we know it can't mean that because it was also Jesus who commanded those things to happen. And Scripture instructs us to instruct. So what does it mean that, that we don't have to be taught about God when we have the Spirit now? It does mean things like this. 1 Corinthians 2.13 Paul, writing to the Corinthians, says, And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. You see the difference now? Paul's saying, I'm not teaching you human stuff. I'm not just some human guy giving you good advice. God has given us spiritual truths that we are teaching you by the Spirit. It's God who's teaching you. You won't even understand this unless God has His Spirit in you. Right? Other places, Paul says that those who are not spiritual cannot understand spiritual things. Right? This is now God teaching in a way that he'd never taught before. This is a new covenant. It's a new set of rules, how God is working in his people in a way that he's never worked in before. Right? John 2.20 says the same thing. It's not just Paul. John says the same thing. He says in 2.20, But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. The Holy Spirit has come and you are now taught, you now have knowledge by the Holy Spirit. And then Paul says something interesting in another letter to the Thessalonians, right, as he's talking to them and teaching them. He says, now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. Right, Paul says, I don't even have to tell you this. I know you've got the Holy Spirit and loving God and how to love one another. I know you know that lesson because God's taught you that. God's taught you how to do that, right? And so what the difference is now from the Old Covenant to the New Testament is we have the Holy Spirit, right? Paul Paul said that what the law could not do because of the weakness of the flesh, God has done through His Son for those who walk by the Spirit. That was Romans 3. We just said that. You, You see how it's the same thing. What we couldn't do in our flesh, we now have the Spirit, right? In the Old Covenant, 
we put it all together under the law. You see, in the Old Covenant, God's people were trying to follow the law by their own power. They did not have the Holy Spirit in the same way we have the Spirit now. The Spirit could come and go from God's people. Right? Remember Samson. Holy Spirit would come. Samson would be strong. Boom, 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 boom. You know? But then there was that saddest verse in the Bible. You know, Samson jumps up and he did not know the Spirit had left him. Saddest verse. He didn't know. Didn't have the Spirit. It was gone. Right? And he was powerless. But that's the old covenant. Now we have the new covenant. What Paul's saying, what Jesus is saying, is you have the Spirit. You have this personal teaching by God, by the Spirit, that you can understand these things that you know how to love because God's teaching you how to love. And so we put it all together. The Spirit's going to come and teach us. In the old days, God made every king rewrite the law and memorize it. And He sent prophets to correct the nation when they failed to follow the law. He had to keep teaching and reteaching and correcting. But now we have the Holy Spirit. And so Paul says, we are teaching you spiritual things that you spiritual people know what we're talking about. John says, you are anointed and you have knowledge of these things because of the anointing of the Spirit. In Thessalonians, Paul says very practically, we don't have to teach you to know how to love because God is teaching you how to love. And the prophets wrote all this stuff down ahead of time, that this new covenant was coming, that this time was coming when the pursuing love of God would result in people, what? Being drawn to Him. The Spirit of God would lead God's people. And where would that Spirit lead us? Because Jesus isn't done. The pieces of the puzzle aren't all together until you finish it off. He says, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. So this is what's going on. God the Father is speaking. God the Father is teaching. And you can hear and you can learn through the Spirit how God is speaking into your heart. And if you hear and learn from God, He will take you straight to Jesus. That's where the pursuing love of God leads us. That's where the pursuing love of God leads you. It leads you to Jesus. And this is so practical. We are unconditionally loved. And although we do not qualify, yet God takes the initiative to draw us to Jesus and He told the prophets this day was coming. And if, by God's grace, He wakes you up from your sleep, if God pokes you in your sleep, if God visits you in your cave, if He interrupts your life on some road that you are on and says, no, don't live that way anymore, but love me, when you hear God speak to you, when you hear God speak to your heart and you learn from Him, this is where He leads you. He says, this is who I want you to meet. I want you to meet Jesus. Because I love you this way. I love you to death on a cross. I love you in the person of My Son. This is the love of God, that He has sent His Son to die for us, for me, to rescue, to redeem, to restore, because He loves us. This unmerited favor, it's unconditional love. It's what God has for you today, literally today. God's love for you, what He's speaking to you, is that you would meet His Son and know the love of Jesus. And I don't know why you might be in church today, but you are not here by accident. Maybe you just feel you needed a little encouragement to make your week better. Maybe you're struggling to trust God anymore or have faith in His love. Maybe your parents dragged you here. Maybe you heard God's invitation through a friend who invited you. Or maybe you just heard His invitation in your heart calling Him back because it's been a long time. I don't know why you're here. But you are here today. 
And if you're here today and you're asking God for help, if you're asking for Him to rescue you, if you're asking for a way through the pain or out of the pain, whatever the reason is that you're here, He is pointing you to Jesus. If you've heard God speak and been taught by Him, He leads you to Jesus. If you're here today and you've been trying to be a good person all on your own, but you lie awake at night and you know that you've not always been good, in fact, you've been very bad, then know that you can't do it on your own. And God knows you can't do it on your own, but that God has rescued you through Jesus and He wants to redeem you through Jesus and what He accomplished on the cross. God wants to make crooked paths straight. He wants to make lame legs strong. He wants to heal old wounds. He wants to forgive sin. He does not want the wicked to perish. So if you're here today and know, as we all do, that you fail every day in loving God or loving others perfectly. God knows we cannot love with the love of our own. And He's given you His Spirit to teach you how to love. We are not here by accident. We're here because of the love of God compelled us. We're here because of the love of God pursued us. We're here because the love of God wanted us here to hear from Him, to be taught by Him, to hear His voice, and to come and meet His Son who's died for us. His heart's desire is our response to His love. His heart's desire is that we would hear His voice and that we would give our life to Him, that we would treasure His Son. And so if you want any part of that, right? if you want any part of God's love, then then all you have to do is listen. He is there. He is knocking. He is pursuing. He is chasing. He is inviting. He is in calling. His Holy Spirit is speaking in your heart. And He's drawing you to His Son. And if you want any part of that, if you want any help with that even, then you can pray right now to the Holy Spirit and say, God, I don't understand. I don't know why you would pursue. I don't know why you would bring me here to hear this. I don't know why your Spirit would have an interest in me. But you do. Help me to trust you. Help me to have faith in you. Let me come to you. Thank you for what you've done through Jesus, you can pray that prayer right now today. And if you need help in understanding that, if you need help in that journey, talk to somebody with a name tag. Come talk to me. Grab an elder if you know what they are, where they look like. You know, Whatever it takes, don't let this day go by without responding to the pursuing love of God. He takes the initiative. He chases us down. We just have to hear His voice and respond. Let's pray.